a lot of people say, I, I go, what's your goal? Well, I want to have songs on the radio. Great. How often do you listen to the radio? Well, I never listen to the radio. <laughs> Come on. Hello, <laughs> man. I'm right here. Yeah. So first off, I just want to say welcome to the podcast. And before we jump into the episode, let me tell you a little bit about myself and what you can expect. I have been in the business now for coming up on 30 years. What we're going to talk about in this podcast are things that go on in my day-to-day life, whether it be as a manager, whether it be as a consultant, whether it be as someone who is creating products that's helping musicians all over the world. If there's something going on in the industry, we're going to talk about it. If there's a strategy that needs to be taught, we're going to talk about it. And if there's some way that I can help get you closer to your goal, then you are in the right place because that's what we are going to talk about here on the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. Now let's jump into the episode. Helping you navigate the music industry. Here's Rick Barker with the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. So recently I was invited to be a part of an amazing conversation with Ill Factor from Beat Academy. I was a guest with his private members and we did a Q&A that the questions were so intriguing and on point that with his permission, I wanted to be able to share them with you. So enjoy this series. I know you're going to get a ton out of it. Also, he has agreed to provide to you uh, a bunch of goodies. All you have to do is go to beatacademy.com forward slash Rick, and you'll get some sounds and things that you can use. It's not often you get to use things from a Grammy-nominated producer. You get them courtesy of Beat Academy. Enjoy this episode. So Phil is asking, how would you approach getting your music video seen? YouTube mainly. Um, I released a single a few weeks ago and it got 60,000 spins on Spotify. Um, awesome. Kudos, Phil. Yeah. But video is stuck at 1,500 plays. Any advice on that? Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so first and foremost is, yes, you definitely want it to be on YouTube. You want to utilize the platforms for the languages that they speak. Now, here's the cool part. Your 1,500 plays is very impressive. And I'll tell you why, because that video wasn't probably on a playlist, which could have been what happened on Spotify. It could have been background noise. You get registered as a play. No one may have really ever heard it. The fact that these 1,500 people watched your video is mm-hmm. a big thing. Also, too, is uh, you can share it on Twitter. You can use Twitter as a way to share a section of the video and then put a link over to YouTube to watch the remaining part of it. You can also do the same thing on Facebook. Now, Facebook will penalize you. And what I mean by penalize sounds like much stronger than it is, is YouTube's job or Facebook's job is not to let you link out to someplace else. Mm. Why? Because they want to show you Facebook ads, not Google ads. Google owns YouTube. You also have to remember this. I don't go to Facebook to go watch YouTube videos. Facebook's usually pretty fast. So if you can give me a snippet and then say to watch the whole thing, you know, put a link in a comment or something like that. But utilize all your different resources to drive attention to your video. Once again, you've got to share it multiple times a day. Uh, you just can't post it once and think that people are going to find it. You have to post over and over and over again. Now, the good news about that is these social platforms aren't going to show. So uh, if you've sent it to me, Phil, and I've seen it and I've already engaged with it, they're not going to show it to me again because they don't want to piss me off. So don't worry about posting too much. You cannot post too much. Keep sharing it, but drive them to YouTube because that's where people go to watch videos. Cool. 
Cool. Awesome. I love that. I'm definitely quoting you on that. You can't post too much. Mm. Phil is also asking, what is your opinion on working with an artist manager that doesn't live directly in your genre of music, but has an amazing reputation and a huge network? Basically, I guess somebody saw interest, but you know, they they might manage house DJs and this guy's, you know, yeah. in the banjo. So what is it that his network's going to be able to do for you if he's not in your genre is one. Uh, two, is he really going to have time for you is another thing that you want to be able, uh, to look at. I, I don't, I, you are your first manager. No one's going to care more about your business right now than you. Uh, most of you aren't yet in a position to be able to pay a manager. So a manager may be excited for a little while, but you know, after four months, five months, six months of seeing no income come in, they're going to lose interest real quick. Uh, we all get excited about the music. That's why we're in it. I always tell people, Fall in love with the jockey, not the horse. The songs are the horses. I want that jockey. I want to fall in love with the person that's delivering the work. But I also think, too, as you sit down, don't get – hell, I had zero experience when I managed Taylor. I had never managed an artist before. I had no proven track record as a manager. I was passionate about her. I wasn't afraid to ask questions and I believed in her. So don't think that you need that shiny manager that's had past success. Sometimes it's the person that cares about you the most that isn't afraid to go out and learn from people like me or ill. If someone is willing to go out and get that knowledge, that may be your best first manager. If someone who's passionate and believes in you, don't get fooled by what this guy may have done for somebody else. I always tell people, you're going to listen to me because of Taylor and I may get your attention because of Taylor. But guys, that was 10 years ago. The questions you should be asking me are, what are you doing for independent artists just like me? That's the bigger question. Not what I did for Taylor, but what I can do for people like you in the position that you're in right now. Hot dang. All right. Um, I'm going to go rock back and forth in a fetal position and cry for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> how awesome this is. All right. So the next question is coming from William. Um, this is you. This is your question. This yeah. isn't for Rick. Yeah, I've never I've uh, written one song in my life, William. So I'm the wrong guy for this. So I'm, I'll I'll, uh, I'll check this one out. In terms of songwriting, what is the norm as as a process? I've after I've often wondered that a person would merely hum, mumble, or something like that, just the same sync and with a given melody or tune, and continue till they flesh it out. The words to fill in the gaps. Your thoughts, please. And also, thank you for being here today. Well, thank you for being here, Rick. Uh, but yeah, as, as, in terms of songwriting. Um, one of the biggest reasons why I tell you guys in the courses and throughout, you know, these mentoring opportunities is to have a reference is because those references become a second nature to you as you continue to practice. A lot of people don't realize that when you're producing music, we only assume that musicians practice. You know, if you want to be a better piano player, you're putting in the hours, you're learning your scales. You want to be a better guitar player, you're learning your skills. But producing music also takes practice in it of itself. And having a reference track in your sessions become a way for you to understand this is I'm using a reference point and it becomes an anchor for me. So that you get familiar with what great songs, how they're arranged, how vocal melodies are are produced, how different, you know, dynamics are done throughout songwriting. So how, you know, um, what's the norm? Well, the norm is going to look different depending on what kind of music that you're, you want to write. I say always just create a workflow that allows you to eliminate the most distractions as possible so that you can get your melodies out. If it takes you to have a voice memo thing, do it. That's how I get my stuff. I put the voice memo on while I'm making a beat. 
I just hum and I sing a bunch of stuff. But a lot of times I'm just not uninspired or I just don't know where I'm going. And that's where having a reference track could be a really helpful tool. You have a track and you're like, oh, that's that's what they're doing in their verses. That's when they're, you don't necessarily have to write exactly like that, but you get a, a good reference point as to what to do and where to go when writing your song. Then you do that enough times and you won't have to do that anymore. It just becomes second nature. I like, I know what a good pop melody is. I know what a good pop chorus would sound like because I do it all. The, I've referenced it so many times. So um, that's what I would say with that. More and the other thing I would say is listen to songs that are hits that you want to write like there. And you'll notice that there is a structure. You know, there is something that's going on. Uh, you want to be sure that a lot of people say, I, I go, what's your goal? Well, I want to have songs on the radio. Great. How often do you listen to the radio? Well, I never listen to the radio. <laughs> Come on. Sell <laughs> out, man. I'm right. Yeah. You know. yeah. Exactly. Which next question. Son of Elroy. Love the yeah. name. Uh, for both masters, uh, what is your formula for writing licensable songs quickly? Uh, similar to what I just said, uh, find out songs that are, are being, being licensed a lot. You can easily do this by just first go to commercials, uh, go on YouTube, find all a bunch of commercials, take listen, find what's the common denominator. So if you, if you listen to 10 commercials, and you go, you know, the majority of them are these upbeat, you know, cheerful lift um, songs. Guess what? That's that's you should be gravitating. That's the common denominator. So uh, keep your song writing uh, broad so that it's not very niche and specific about, well, I met this girl on a Tuesday afternoon. But if it's broad about, hey, let's be together, let's be happy. Those tend to work out really well. So just find common denominators of, of songs that are being used frequently in a lot of commercials. Or, or movies and things like that. I'm going to bring you a guy that's going to be an amazing guest for you. His name's Michael Elsner. I just helped promote Michael lives here in Nashville, friend of mine, uh, master music licensing. And Michael's had over 2000 placements and Michael, what he's done is he's the one who teaches people how to take sections of their songs. But the advice that he gave my coaching group, just like this was, he said, start listening to TV and stop watching TV. If you sit down and close your eyes, you're going to hear the music throughout the whole entire episode. You're never going to hear complete songs. You're going to hear parts. You're going to hear hooks. You're going to hear different choruses. He teaches you how to take your song and create 10, 15, 20 licensable pieces out of this song. His One of his case studies, he took this little girl who's got four country album or songs, and she now has 52 placements from pieces of those songs. So great advice. Start listening to the commercials. Start listening to television. Stop watching. Start listening. And once again, there's a skill in it. And I'll get you and Michael together and I'll have him send to you uh, a link where your kids, he wrote this great book and it's about keyword and metadata. I mean, it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And he's got wow. artists right now that are all making money with their music and it's badass. Awesome. Yeah, that's uh, so if whatever, whatever we can do to make everybody who's a member win, I'm for it. So let's yep. let's go. Uh, Darren, Darren Clark is asking, hi, what advice on an artist who does not sing but produces music and how to get into the scene on the back of your music talent? So I guess what he's asking is. A lot, a lot of, you know, a lot of your advice seems fitable for artists who are in the limelight, yeah. who they're writing the songs there. But what about instrumentalists or producers or artists that are just making music without a lot of that? Well, I think it's the same way. You're still going to want to get your product. Let's not even call it. Let, you want to get your product in, as, in front of as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. Also, too, 
Darren, and I think I know Darren. Uh, you're also, if you ever want to get top line riders, if you ever want to get vocalists, you'll, you'd be utilizing social media as a way to build relationships, uh, as a way to go out and compliment people on what it is that they're doing, looking for collaborations. Uh, but whatever we're selling, we're either selling ourselves, we're selling our product, we're selling relationships. We're always selling. Those of you that say, I don't want to be a salesperson. Well, you're a, you are a salesperson. I sell to my kids every day to try to get them what I need them to do. My wife, <laughs> my, we, we are always selling. We're always doing that. So I would use it as a way to build relationships. Uh, also too, is I would go study other people that are having success in your space and see what it is that they're doing. You know, that's, that's, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, there's people out there having success with what you're doing. Go look at what they're doing and see how much you can duplicate. See how yeah. much is open. Reach out to them and compliment them on what they're doing and just start following them. Put them on notification. So if you every time they post, we did this early on with an artist is we we put notifications on so that every time another artist posted, we posted so we could match what it is that they were doing. And it worked out really well. It's like, damn, they're working a lot. <laughs> you know, it's like if your notifications keep going off and you're like, Ooh, I wouldn't have done that. That's what you see as you're getting out work. So you don't ever want to get out work. But Darren, I appreciate the question, my friend. Wow, that's a great idea. I've never even thought of that. That's really cool. All right. We've got uh, Anthony Larzo. I'm a fan of Rick's podcast. Awesome. Especially love the interview with Ill. True. Kyle, uh, Kyle Lamore and Michael Eisner. Is Michael Elsner, the guy I just talked about. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. All these guys have been great mentors and I've learned a lot from each one of them. I still feel the lack of a similar groundbreaking figure and podcast for the streaming world. I would love Mike Warner's book, but I still feel a pivotal course is needed in that field. There will, I guess, will there be a future podcast about this topic or did I miss him? I mean, maybe that's something him and I can implement if we connect or. Yeah. And also too, is I'm going to say something, Anthony, and I don't want you to take this the wrong way. All of us have told you what to do. Now you need to get out and do it. You know, at some point we overeducate ourselves. At some point we want so much knowledge, but we don't go out and do it. Mm. Uh, the best way to, to stream, that's the world we live in. So one, you've got to get your music out. You don't need a podcast to tell you that. You need to create great music. You don't need a podcast to tell you that. You need to get your music to a distributor that can get your music out there. You don't need a podcast to get to teach you that. And you need to drive people to where it is that you want them to consume the content. So if you're trying to really up your Spotify game, then you're going to focus on sending your Spotify playlist to as many people as possible or your Spotify player. What's cool about that is there's these things called APIs. And it means that this program will talk to this program and they're very friendly with each other. So if you have all your music, this is where I wish I could talk to him and, and, and get a couple more bits of questions from him. But if you've got music that you need to get out there, go into Spotify and it'll say share and it'll show you Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Soon as you click that, it's going to embed a player inside of that social platform. So that's what we have to do is we first, we have to make sure that these people have these streaming platforms. So if you're in hip hop and R&B, awesome. Your audience is still streaming. Your audience is streaming. If you're in country music, a lot of them aren't doing this yet. You know, so you need to also educate people on how to do that. Uh, there's these great things like Link Fire. Mm. Link Fire uh, is, is you can put up a song 
It'll put a cool picture. It'll drop and it'll say, listen to it on Spotify. Listen to it on Apple. Listen to it on Deezer. It lets the person pick where it is that they're located to be able to hear your song. The thing I hate the most is that, you know, it's like when I have to sign on and then re-sign. All I wanted to do was hear the song. But what you should do today, too, more than anything, is all of you need to make sure that you have a website. That's the only thing that you own. And you can embed players and have your music on the front page of your website. And that's where you should be driving everyone. All of your traffic, in my opinion, should be going to a property that you own that you can have pixeled so that at some point you can go back and have a separate conversation with them. Because if Spotify goes, Facebook goes, Twitter goes, and that's the only place you are communicating with your fans. So what I would do, Anthony, is I I would really focus more right now on you don't need to learn anything more about streaming. You really don't. You just need to drive people to hear your music. Uh, If you want to, Hire a company to help you get on different playlists. First things I teach people is start your own playlist. I have a section in my master class on streaming, on Spotify. Uh, Michael Warner's book is fantastic uh, that he mentioned. Michael also teaches people. He's a curator. Uh, we did a great podcast together. It's like everybody he mentioned. I love that he listens to the podcast. But Anthony, do me a favor. Send me an email. Uh, to rick at rickbarker.com and put your contact information in there. I would love to get you on the phone and have a deeper conversation because I think you're trying to say more than what we're able to read in your post. And I want to give you the ability to clarify some things for me so that I can point you in the right direction because you're obviously willing to do the work. That's what I loved about you are doing the education. You are doing the work. I just want to make sure you're not doing what Rick did last year and bought about five different courses and I never put anything out. I am speaking from experience on over-educating and overthinking it sometimes. So if you can get that information to me, I will call you and we'll have a different conversation. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. Remember, there is no one-size-fits-all model when it comes to the music industry. So check out my website, rickbarker.com, take the quiz, and I will send you information specific to you to help make sure that you are on the right track. You've been listening to the Music Industry Blueprint Podcast with Rick Barker. You can follow Rick on Twitter at Rick Barker Music. And remember, you don't drown by falling into the water, you drown by staying there.